It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 200 for July 11th, 2010. Recorded July 10th. Adobe Bridge, as I've said a time or two, is indispensable. That's why it's included with all of the CS5 suites and with most of the applications if you buy them individually. It is particularly useful in conjunction with Photoshop, Illustrator, and InDesign because it makes organizing assets easy. CS5 includes the Mini Bridge with several applications, and this brings Bridge's functionality inside programs such as Photoshop. If you use any Adobe applications and you haven't yet explored Bridge, or you have CS5 and you haven't yet really looked at Mini Bridge, you're cheating yourself. Jan Kabili has about a three-minute explanation of Bridge that she created for lynda.com. It's also available on Adobe TV, and you can find it on my website, www.techbiter.com, and it's posted there with permission. Also, you'll find a video by Kelly McCatherine describing MiniBridge as it applies to several Adobe applications in a brief six-minute adobe.com video. What do I like about the new Mini Bridge? Well, there's so much to like that, not to be left out of the pack, I made my own video. Bridge itself has been around since CS2 and has improved with each new version of the software. If you're not using Bridge, you're missing some really important features. Mini Bridge makes it even better. Most people dock the Mini Bridge on the right side of the screen, but I can make a pretty good case for docking it at the bottom. Did you know that if you drag and drop an image from Bridge or Mini Bridge onto Photoshop, Camera Raw opens automatically? Did you know you can select several images at once and press the space bar to start a slideshow? And if you have several images that work together as a group, for example, HDR images or depth of field composition or a panorama, selecting all of them and then choosing Photoshop can save you several steps. So check out the website this week and the videos. My video is new. I haven't done a video before. Something I'm testing out for TechBiter Worldwide. I feel that the video's quality is a little too low and the size is too big, so I'm already working on that. But let me know, please, what you think of having embedded videos in the program. Hey, Microsoft, was it the N or the O that you didn't understand? I keep changing the Windows update to download but don't install at the office. And Microsoft keeps changing it back to automatic. Cut it out already. The most recent incident occurred on June 24th. Fortunately, that was on a Thursday, so it wasn't a big deal. But this has the potential to be a real pain. I set Windows Update to download but don't install because that's the way I want it to work. Will Microsoft please stop deciding how I want to use my computer? Here's the problem. The Office computer is encrypted. At boot time, somebody with the appropriate password must be sitting at the computer. Sometimes I work from home and I cannot provide a password that must be entered from the local keyboard when I'm 20 miles away. This really isn't a particularly complicated scenario, and it's one I would think that somebody at Microsoft might be able to understand. Because the system restart happened at 3 a.m. on Thursday when I was sleeping, it wasn't a big deal. 
When I arrived at the office three hours later, I simply provided the password and booted the computer. But some tasks that are scheduled to run between 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. didn't run because the computer was sitting at the logon screen, waiting for somebody to provide a password. Had this happened at 3 a.m. on a Saturday morning, it would have been a more serious problem. It would mean either waiting until Monday morning to gain access to the system, or driving a 40-mile round trip, wasting more than an hour and more than a gallon of gasoline, just to restart the computer. Either way, I lose. So, look, Microsoft, I'm smart enough to know that critical updates are important. I run them immediately when I am at the computer. But I would really appreciate it if Microsoft would allow me to control my own destiny. When I set Windows Update to Download but Don't Install Updates, I meant that it's okay for the Windows Update service to download updates but not to install them. I don't want my computer rebooted when I'm not there. All of this seems pretty clear to me, so would you please just honor my request? Because Microsoft seems to be incapable of honoring users' requests, my recommendation is simple, basic, and clear. Check the Windows Update settings once a week. And if they're not the settings you prefer, change them back. The Watch Instantly feature on Netflix has been kind of a yawner. It's fine if you want to watch some older movies, but that's about to change. Netflix and Relativity Media have signed an agreement that will make Relativity Media properties available during what's called the Pay TV Window. That's the time when movies are available on premium TV channels, but not yet anywhere else. In the past years, I've really come to enjoy Netflix. I was given a year-long subscription as a gift, but I've continued to renew month after month. As for the Watch Instantly feature, I ignored it at first. The videos were low-quality and choppy. These days, the video is medium-quality and no longer choppy, but the selections continued to be weak. In some cases, I could view a film that was in my queue or one that I had already viewed on DVD. But this new deal changes things fundamentally, even though Relativity isn't one of the bigger players in Hollywood. Netflix explains that this new agreement means movies will be streamed to subscribers instead of being broadcast by the traditional pay providers. You've heard me talk about net neutrality in the past. You can be sure that Comcast, in particular, would like to charge subscribers extra for access to Netflix. Net neutrality would prohibit that. If you pay for Internet access, you should have access to anything on the Internet. I'll comment again on net neutrality in short circuits. The agreement between Relativity and Netflix goes into effect later this year. The Fighter, with Christian Bale, Mark Wahlberg, and Amy Adams, is one of the first releases that will be available. Also on the schedule, Skyline, Season of the Witch, and Movie 43. Although it's not a huge company, Relativity has financed, co-financed, or produced more than 200 features, and 50 of those films have reached top 10 status within the past two years. Relativity is responsible for grown-ups. Now, that's a film I swore not to see after being forced to watch the trailer for it, but I won't hold that against them. I've said before that Netflix is a forward-thinking company. With more than 13 million members, Netflix is the world's largest subscription service. And Netflix apparently intends to keep it that way. 
In short circuits, after shooting down the idea several times, the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, or ICANN, has finally admitted that XXX might be a good top-level domain. Pornography is pretty easy to find and difficult to exclude if you want to exclude it on the Internet. The XXX top-level domain would make it easier to classify and organize, so this is a good idea, right? Well, not according to the adult entertainment industry and to a variety of religious groups. Both oppose the idea. The purveyors say that the .xxx domains will stigmatize the industry. The religious groups say it will make pornography more prevalent. Politics does indeed make strange bedfellows, so to speak. ICANN has agreed to proceed on a proposal from ICM, a Florida company, to create the new top-level domain. ICM says its goal is to create an area for pornography, but one that is clean, doesn't serve viruses to visitors, and doesn't house credit card thieves. In short, if you want porn, you go to the XXX domains. If you don't want it, you block the entire top-level domain. ICM says that more than 100,000 domains have already registered, and the company says it expects half a million domains to be online when the top-level domain goes live in the next year or so. An estimated 6 million adult sites, 6 million adult sites, are already online. ICANN had voted most recently in 2007 to reject the .xxx domains. At that time, ICANN, rather laughably, said the decision was based on technical problems. In a battle that pits you against the world, bet on the world. In a battle that pits Google against China, bet on China. Back in March, Google closed its offices in China and began directing users to its uncensored Hong Kong site. Yes, Hong Kong is part of China now, but the Chinese government has allowed the area's freedoms to remain. It was always more theater than substance, though, because uncensored search results were still censored by the Great Firewall of China before being returned to Chinese citizens. As of Friday, the Chinese government renewed Google's license to operate a website in mainland China. There was some question as to whether that would happen. Google CEO Eric Schmidt characterized it as kind of a stalemate with this statement. We'll keep doing what we're doing, and they'll keep doing what they're doing. That's not really a stalemate. The outcome means that Google can continue to pretend that it offers uncensored search results in China, and China can continue to pretend that it allows free speech. Google has a minority position in the search engine market in China, but China has more Internet users than the United States does. And a 30% share of the Chinese search engine market still translates to a lot of money. Searchers in China can see uncensored search results from Hong Kong, but they cannot follow links provided by Google if the government feels the content is offensive, which means politically sensitive. The decision by the Chinese government followed a small change by Google. Instead of automatically sending users in mainland China to its Hong Kong site, Google offered a link to the Hong Kong site from its main page in China. That was enough to allow the government in Beijing to make nice again, except for the fact that nothing has really changed. I continue to be both surprised and gratified by the response to TechBiter Worldwide as the program passes the 200th podcast anniversary. Because I take a couple of weeks off every year, that's about four years of podcasts. The new media makes it possible for anyone with a message to attract an audience. 
Podcasts are available from a lot of different locations. Some sites make the podcast available on the site itself. TechBiter does that with a link near the bottom of each program's page. Others make their programs available via the Apple iTunes store. Uh, TechBiter Worldwide is available there, too, and without charge. This week I found Podcast Alley. That's another location where you can go to look for programs. And, of course, I added TechBiter Worldwide there, too. Check it out. You might find some other programs you'll enjoy. And yet another option is Podcast.com. And this will probably not surprise you. I have added TechBiter Worldwide there, too. Several weeks ago, and just a few minutes ago, I talked about net neutrality. It's this kind of programming, podcasting, and specific video casting, blogging, that net neutrality attempts to preserve. Instead of limiting contact to just the big media conglomerates, which would make corporate America very happy, the goal of net neutrality is to keep programs such as TechBiter worldwide, along with thousands, hundreds of thousands, probably maybe millions, of other independent podcasts, websites, and blogs, both free and readily available. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.